you're able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we need to hear from you this morning. We come with much baggage, worry, concern, fears. Lord, speak to us your good word. Encourage our hearts in you today. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, as Pastor Weldon mentioned during our Christmas Eve services, if you attended one of those, some have labeled 2020 as the worst year ever. And we could think of abundant reasons why someone would come to such a conclusion. All the virus issues, political and social issues, uncertainty about the future. What does the next year hold? And so on. But what about you personally? How has this year been for you? Has it been a hard year? Maybe you've experienced health issues, either personally or in your family. Maybe you've lost a loved one. Loss of a job. Or something else equally as painful. And sometimes, you know, sometimes it's just the, the accumulation of a number of small disappointments and frustrations that weigh heavy on our souls and make us feel like something's got to give. You know, I can't keep doing this. I can't keep going on like this. And it makes it difficult to put into practice, if you remember our verses of the year for 2020, Rejoice always, give thanks in all circumstances, and pray without ceasing. That's hard. Because everywhere you turn, there's nothing but negative. It's negative everywhere. Who will show us some good? That question is our point of entry into Psalm 4, our text for this morning. We might first ask, You know, what prompted this question in this psalm in verse 6? Well, the problem that's mentioned here in this psalm that David mentions is that men were opposing him. Um, The term he uses there to address these men 
are used in other contexts in the Psalms referring to prominent men, those of rank and power, perhaps wealth also. Now, we don't know the specifics of this opposition um, other than what we find in the psalm itself. And David tells us that they were trying to bring shame upon him. They loved vain words and sought after lies. Most likely that involved false accusations and slander against David. Now in verse 1, David mentions relief from past distress, even as he's crying out to the Lord for his present help, implying that, again, he's in distress. Lord, help me in my distress. Now that word used for distress there refers to a tight place or being in a bind. It's used in context where enemies of God's people were harassing them and hemming them in. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt trapped in your circumstance? There's no way out. Maybe you've even experienced exactly what David's experiencing here. Maybe you're experiencing that now, a spiritual opposition from those who would accuse you and slander you for your faith in Christ. Now, whatever the specific circumstances were for David and the people, at this time, there seems to have been a general feeling of discouragement and frustration. I think there was even a hint of cynicism behind this question. Who will show us some good? Let's see how David responds to this question. In the second half of verse 6, he simply says, Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. His answer is a prayer. It's a prayer to God, and we would do well to learn from that response when faced with this question. What does that mean? What does it mean to lift up the light of your face upon us? Well, in other contexts, and there's many, which use that similar language referring to God, It refers to his loving favor and presence with his people. It's all in the context of a covenant relationship where there's blessing. There is deliverance to be found in the Lord. And maybe we could boil it down to even more uh, down-to-earth terms in the sense of it's God's smile. It's his smile upon his people as opposed to a frown or a scowl makes me wonder, how often do we walk around, those even believers in Christ, walk around thinking that God is frowning upon us, scowling at us? Be encouraged that if you are in Christ, if you are trusting in Him alone for eternal life, you have His favorable presence. What does He say in the Scriptures? He is for us, not against us. Be encouraged by that. Notice that David looks to the Lord alone to find this good that they're wondering about. He doesn't look horizontally to other people. 
He's not hoping that someone else will turn things around for him. He looks to the Lord. He doesn't look to himself either. He doesn't look within. That's really the essence of faith, right? It's looking away from self, looking to the Lord for help. Nor does he look to some sort of optimistic fate to turn things around. Let me give you an example. You know, thinking to yourself, yeah, things are bad right now, but you know, things will work themselves out. They always do. You know, things will turn around. They're always, things bounce back. You know, we live in America, by the way. You know, isn't that what happens with us? Kind of like the stock market, as if life just goes up and down, up and down, impersonally, arbitrarily. No, he looks to the Lord. That's where good is found. So I ask us, where do you look to answer that question? Who will show us some good? Do you think you'll find it in the headlines? Do you think anyone in the unbelieving world will ever report on the goodness of God and his favorable presence in Christ with his people? True good and good news is only comes from God. The author of every good and perfect gift. So we've seen David's answer to the question. He looks to the favorable presence of his God. But I want to spend some time considering what our response to this question might be. How do you practically functionally answer this question when it comes up? Whether somebody else says it, whether you say it or think it, how do you actually answer that? Is it the response of the cynic? You know, the cynic's answer to the question, who will show us some good, is ultimately no one, or at least for now. I want to give some examples of how this might express itself. This cynicism. The cynic might say, you know, the world's only getting worse. Therefore, don't expect anything good. I've been around believers that have that attitude. They might, they might say, well, yeah, there's good. God does good and he will do good when Christ comes back. But until then, don't expect anything. Another response coming out of a cynicism is reducing Christian hope to probabilities or things dependent or you know dependence on other things rather than God. Let me give you an example. It's it's sort of the response of if X happens or until X happens there's no chance of good. Certain things have to fall into place in order for there to be good to be found. Maybe it's the virus. Maybe it's some other circumstance. And then thirdly, another example, and I call this the yeah, but response to the truths of Scripture. Use an example from our text. 
David says, the Lord hears when I call to him. The cynic says, yeah, but I've been praying to him for a long time and I don't see anything. Or you read a text like that, that calls us to, to pray for those who are in power and even pray for those who persecute us. And the response is, yeah, but they'll never change. What good is that going to do? Scripture does not present a cynical believer as a legitimate category. It's actually an oxymoron. We may struggle with the sin of cynicism, but it's ultimately inconsistent with being conformed to the image of Christ and the hope to which we're called. So we need to deal with those sins. Recognize them. Call it for what it is. And I'm not immune to it. I struggle with those same thoughts. So if cynicism is not an option, then what should a proper response look like? And I want to just highlight five practical takeaways from this psalm to guide our response to the question. Who will show us some good? And many of these are interrelated. Uh, You'll see that as we go along. First, if David's answer involves the presence of God, we must learn to, as some people have uh, described it, we need to practice the presence of God. Practice the presence of God. What does that mean? How do we do that? I think one simple way to do that is to talk to him. Talk to him throughout your day. Acknowledge him in all your ways, as Proverbs 3 tells us to. You see, we show that we believe that he is present and that he hears us by actually talking to him. Secondly, a prayerful response versus fretting, worrying, being frustrated, angry. Psalm 37 tells us to be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. If you look at Psalm 37, from which those verses come, you'll see a number of exhortations to to believers to be still. Wait patiently for God. Trust in Him. Commit your way to Him. All of those exhortations... I believe, cannot be carried out without prayer. How will you commit your way to him? How will you wait upon him? Be still before him and trust him without prayer. Prayer is the obedient alternative to fretting. Thirdly, notice that David appeals to previous revelation in answering the question, who will show us some good? You know, he says in verse 6, lift up the light of your face upon us. Where does that come from? 
Well, there's many passages in the Old Testament that speak about this. Probably the most prominent one is number six. This is the benediction that was given by Moses from God to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them, God says. And that last I in that text is emphatic. I will bless them. You've probably recognized even in that passage I just read, there's a number of... uh, Ideas from that passage that appear in our psalm. Not just the light of his face, but also the call to be gracious. The call for peace. You see, this Old Testament benediction reveals God's will to bless his people. He wants to do that. He wants to bless you as his child. Consider the significance of God revealing himself through a word like this, this benediction. You know, he didn't just reveal this benediction as here's how you can close your service, you know. Here's what you can say to just you know, close everything down. Think about it, what it reveals. You see, in revealing what he wants us to pray for, he also reveals what he wants to give what he wants to give to his people. Be encouraged. Be encouraged by that. David's prayer here, as short as it is, is using scripture. And he's basically doing this. He's pleading the promises of God with this prayer, his response. And if, if I had to boil it down, I would say that this, is, this basic principle is probably the most important principle about prayer. Period. What is prayer? It's pleading the promises of God. Gary Millar, in his book, Calling Upon the Name of the Lord, which came out not too long ago, it looks at the theme of prayer throughout Scripture and how it develops and how God uh, defines it for us, in essence. And he says this by way of summary. Prayer throughout the Bible is to be primarily understood as asking God to come through on what he has already promised. That's his summary. And you see examples of this throughout Scripture. Not only in the Psalms, you see it in uh, Daniel's prayer and others. Drawing upon the promises of God in faith. Fourthly, we need to believe in the righteousness and goodness of God in response to this question. Do you believe functionally in God's righteousness and goodness? Notice I didn't say, do you affirm it as true? I think all of us in here would. But I said functionally, that means do you act on it as true? There's a big difference. You know, our functional beliefs about God are usually revealed and exposed 
during times like this or difficult times that you may be experiencing where the rubber meets the road, you know. You know, God, David calls God the God of my righteousness in verse 1. Now, this could refer to God's righteousness or it could be referring to David's righteousness that God gave to him and vindicates. Either way, God's the source. He is the standard of all righteousness. You know, one bottom line question, gut level question we need to ask and deal with when we're going through difficult times and distress. Am I, do I think I'm more righteous than God? You see, when we go through difficult times, we often want to judge God in his behavior or what we perceive him to be doing or not doing in our lives as if we're on a higher standard of justice and righteousness, that we need to call him into account somehow. How foolish. He is the standard of righteousness. When you find yourself asking or thinking, who will show us some good? Remember that there's no one good but God alone. And know that he knows how to give good gifts to his children. He's told us that. Lastly, we need to have a confident faith in the promises of God. Now he mentions a few things here. There's many others you could go to in scripture that might help in your time of distress. In verse 3, he's even sort of addressing his opponents, even in this prayer, but indirectly, you know, these are things that we need to believe and affirm. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. He hears when I call to him. The Lord hears. Know that to be true. Later in the psalm, verse 7, he says, You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. Do you believe that? Do you believe that no matter what you're going through, that he is able to give you joy? More so than any prosperity or perfect circumstances that the world can present? He also talks about, in verse 8, in peace, I will both lie down and sleep for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. This, past, this verse is rich with language that comes up in other contexts in Scripture. Uh, a lot of them are shepherding contexts where God is shepherding his people and he's making them lie down in peace. And a lot of these promises are connected to the Messiah and his coming and how he will make them lie down in peace, and none shall make them afraid. These are just a few promises that we can cling to from this psalm. But you know, sometimes we, we treat faith as if it was something that we just make up to get through something. But there's really 
that functionally we don't really believe there's a reality behind it to cling to. It's sort of just a psychological game we play with ourselves. It's a hope against reality sometimes, how we think of it, instead of a hope in reality. That God is really there. He really hears and he really responds. And he's able to do these things that David talks about. One of my favorite verses from Psalm 112 is verse 7. This is talking about the righteous man, qualities and characteristics of the righteous man. And it says, He is not afraid of bad news. His heart steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Does that describe you today? want us to be aware of, beware of the temptation to lose hope in the goodness of God for the present. You know, we can easily fall into the trap, as I mentioned earlier, of, yeah, God, he's out there. He's going to work out his purposes, and I'm sure they'll be good. Um, but that's way off. That's at the consummation of all things, you know. But here and now, We can't expect much. The enemy would love nothing better than for God's people to lose hope in his ever-present help in times of trouble. And to think there's nothing that's going to change between now and the next life. So stop talking to him about it. Stop praying about it. See, that's what he wants us to do. Don't fall for that. One commentator commented on this passage in this way, the people of God never act more wisely than when they trust and hope in him. Even in the darkest times, reliance on God is as safe for us as it is honorable to him. David prayed for present relief. I don't, I don't get the, the gist in this psalm that he was just, resigning himself to a plight in life and and pushing everything off into the future. I think he was expecting God to act here and now, in his day, in his present distress. Scripture encourages us to do the same. As he says, David says in another psalm, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living not the dead, in the land of the living. True faith, as Scripture tells us, a faith that honors God is an expectant faith. It believes that not only that God exists, but he rewards those who seek him. There's blessing to be found. There's help to be found in our distress. What will your response be the next time you're confronted with the question, Who will show us some good? Let's pray. Father, thank you for these encouraging words. Help us to believe them. Help our unbelief. May we cling to these truths, especially who you are and who you are for us in Christ. 
that you would shine the light of your face, your favorable presence upon us. Be with us, no matter what we're going through right now. Help us to cling to the hope we have in you. In Christ's name, amen.